Um, verse 11 says, and he, gave himself, and, and, he gave, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning uh, to uh, look at your word. I pray for, your, um, for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts, upon our lives as we uh, read this passage, that we may apply these principles, that we may be equipped so that we may, we may walk worthy before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. During World War II, uh, many countries uh, had, um, uh, throughout, throughout Europe, had cellars that they used for emergency uh, air raids or, or places to be, take shelter from bombs. But in Britain, a lot of the houses didn't have cellars, and so they would have to, um, so uh, people in Britain would have to um, make it over to a school that had a basement or a factory or some other type of building that had some type of basement or some bomb shelter. Uh, and getting to those shelters was not always easy. Uh, and so a lot of times that these, um, th the, the difficulty was trying to make it out in time as they heard the air raid sirens to, to be able to uh, be in a place where they were safe from bombing. Uh, and so um, there was a, a group of people in Britain that were working on this problem, trying to build a, some type of um, bunker that individuals could use or build at their own house. And there's a guy named John Baker came up with what he called the, the Morrison Shelter. Um, basically, if you want to describe it, you could call it a, a bunker in a box. Um, it sounds like something that a, Scan a, a Scandinavian minimalist uh, company like IKEA might design. Uh, and it might be, in, in many ways, it was very similar. It was designed to be something that was functional in your home. Um, so they, they, it came in about the shape of a large dining table, maybe a little bit bigger, maybe about 30% bigger than a dining table. Um, with a steel top, and of course it was made out of steel legs, but it had uh, like mesh wire on the sides. Uh, and people could install these inside their house, use them as a table uh, during the daytime, and it was designed to be, able to be made so they could sleep in them at night. So if there was a bombing that happened, they'd be right there in probably the safest um, place that they could be. And they were, they were um, big enough uh, so that uh, two adults and up to two kids could fit inside there. They, they even designed these... Um, Designed this little, the area inside with springs in the bottom to make it a little more comfortable. Uh, so you can um, you can actually Google that uh, sometime and look at Morrison Shelter and you come up with pictures of these. Um, they even have uh, ads that show like a family dining underneath their, under the table inside there. It looks like a four course dinner or something. I don't know, but it's very interesting to see what they came up with. Um, but the the guy that that designed this wanted to. Uh, was, was really concerned about people and, and their well-being. Um, and they actually, they, the government um, provided these for free for people of low income. And over a half a million of these were, were distributed across Britain. And people used these. And actually, it saved a lot of people's lives. You can see some of, the bunk, some of these bunkers. It looks like a metal dining room table, but they're kind of partially knocked down from the house that uh, imploded with a, with a bomb. Uh, and apparently, it kept many people safe. Um, so. These, these boxes, these bunker in a box, if you want to call it that, were designed to equip people so that they were ready for the blast of a bomb upon their house. And maybe it probably wouldn't protect them from the bomb itself, but it would protect them from the destruction of the house coming down on top of them. And when they assembled this Morrison shelter and provided they actually got inside of it at the right time or were, were there present when the, the, the bombing happened, it would it would equip them to be able to uh, withstand that blast. 
in Paul's writing to the Ephesian church here that we're going to look at this morning, uh, he warns of the devastation of young, immature believers and been being tossed to and fro. And he gives us a, in this passage, he tells us, this is how you can walk worthy. This is how you can avoid being a child, that's a, a, a spiritual child that, that's unstable, being tossed to and fro. And this passage shows us that by seeking the shelter of the church and the fellowship in the church and the leadership of the church, um, believers can mature and be equipped to handle adversity in their lives. So we're going to look at a couple things here. As we, as we th- we're picking up the very middle of the book of Ephesians, and as we think through this book, it's a book, obviously, that, that Paul, um, it's one of the pri- what we call the prison epistles, written when Paul was in prison in Rome under house arrest. Um, uh, prison epistles along with uh, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Uh, and uh, Paul sent um, the, the three uh, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon with Tychicus back uh, to, to um, Asia Minor to distribute these, uh, these books to the various churches. Um, the, the book of Ephesians um, may not have been directed at a specific uh, church in Ephesus. Uh, the, the earliest manuscripts uh, omit the phrase uh, when it's talking about to the saints. It does not say who are at Ephesus. Uh, so it's probably a letter that was tended, that was encyclical. In other words, it was an intended to be passed around uh, to many different churches, uh, and likely Ephesus was the first church, and so it came to be known as the as uh, to, to the churches in Ephesus. Um, Paul doesn't uh, is, um, absent from this book. It's it's from Paul's customary salutations or greetings to specific people. Uh, so in other words, it likely again wasn't return, intended for a specific congregation, but but likely a, uh, a larger group. So in, in the, the church of Ephesus, when you think of, or, or the city of Ephesus, was the largest city in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, um, about a quarter of a million people. Uh, so one of, one, of the, one of the larger cities in the world during this time, the largest in Asia Minor. Um, Paul created quite a stir when he um, criticized their, their idol-worshiping, and it caused the city... Um, so a quarter of a million, uh, was roughly about two of Round Rock, I guess. So causing a, that big, two Round Rocks to come up to a, a uh, uprising uh, would be a major, a major deal. I don't know what you could do to, to get people of Round Rock all stirred up, uh, bomb the rock or their tower or something. But, it, but just imagining um, getting a city of that size stirred up against Paul, about one person or maybe his group of church planners there, and how, how um, that, that might have felt. Um, obviously, he was standing in opposition to uh, the, the worship of um, Artemis, the goddess of fertility, um, also associated with uh, the Roman goddess Diana. Uh, and so, in doing this, he was hurting the, the, the local idol-making economy and got people um, pretty riled up about that. Um, the church of Ephesus, or the, the, the history of the Ephesian church, actually began with uh, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, Paul dropped them off in Ephesus and then later um, joined them. Um, he uh, worked there for several years, uh, about three years there, uh, to, uh, to plant this church. Uh, um, so he uh, came back to Ephesus, and besides the church of Ephesus, um, was, was uh, likely used this time to reach the... Uh, ...chapter 3, the...
the seven churches. That would be Smyrna and Pergamus, Thyatira and Sardis, and, and so on, Philadelphia. Uh, so likely this was a, a center hub where he presented, the, preached the gospel. It was a center hub of um, a travel. Uh, so that was Paul's strategy of church planning was going to a place where a lot of people came through, the crossroads of society. And Ephesus was one of these areas. And I planted this church in Ephesus as well as uh, in some of the surrounding cities around there. Um, so this gives us a little bit bigger, better picture of where we come when we, when we come to um, verse uh, chapter 4 here. And Paul, again, is likely writing to some of these churches in the surrounding area. Um, and again, we mentioned um, uh, these churches that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 that, uh, that, that John writes to that is saying that they are some major problems, or most of them had some major problems he was addressing, and the church of Ephesus was one of these churches. So approximately 30 years later from when Paul wrote this um, letter to the, in part to the Ephesian church, uh, he was, uh, 30 years later, the church of Ephesus uh, uh, had lost their first love. Uh, so you just kind of bear that in mind here as Paul is writing here. Um, Paul, in, in, in that 30-year that time period, um, Paul directed Timothy to, to spend some time there with a church that, with this church that was uh, struggling a bit as well. Uh, so that's just a little bit of introduction there. Um, we're going to look at three things here uh, in this passage: uh, the people, God's people, God's plan, and God's purpose. So just a very simple outline here as we look at chapter four. Uh, and just really want uh, as we back up to just to the very first verse. It says here in verse one: "I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called." So Paul's addressing here in this passage the Ephesian believers. It's the church of believers and these other, ch- other churches surrounding there. These believers, he's saying, my desire here is to see you walking worthy. And so you can almost picture this um, uh, chapter 4 here as kind of a, a sandwich. He talks, in other words, he talks to the, the very first several verses, he talks to the believers in general. And in the very middle section, uh, verses 11 and 12, he's saying, okay, so specifically uh, we have uh, believers who, who I've given you, in other words, pastors and evangelists, and includes in here apostles and prophets, who I've given you to help you learn to walk worthy. In the very end of the passage, again, he's talking to the believers in general, uh, telling them this is, I don't want you to be children tossed to, to and fro. So the people in here are the, the people in these churches that Paul is writing to, the believers, and then he's talking specifically in the middle here, um, uh, this chapter uh, um, to or giving them the reason that God has given uh, pastors and teachers or, pa- or the pastor teacher and evangelist to the church and then um, at the end of the passage going back and talking to the believers again. Uh, so we kind of get the, 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 the focus here of who he's writing to. Um, again, you get, if you, maybe in your Bible you might say, see in there the title above your chapter might say walk in unity. In other words, there's a major focus of having unity that the, the body of Christ is one that needs to be unified. Um, he, uh, it says in verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I'm not going to go into these pre- uh, preceding verses anymore. Just to get a, a better picture of the chapter we're looking at, um, Paul is uh, uh, talking to these believers and saying, I want to see you... Um, uh, walking worthy of the calling for which you were called, uh, living together with love and unity in the, in the church, in your, um, in your 
body of believers uh, that, that I put you. And starting in verse 7, uh, we see that, that uh, um, he's talking to these believers. And again, we're not going to deal specifically with 7 through 10 very close. Um, but he's, he's saying to them that, that God has given each of you uh, his grace, salvation, but along with that salvation, he has given you, each one of you, individual gifts that can be used in the church, that are used for the edification of others, that are used for the encouragement and the building of the body of Christ. And God has given each one of you as believers gifts, a gift, at, least, at least a gift uh, that, to be used uh, for, for service in the church, for the, to be used for discipling of other people, to be used um, to help other people walk worthy in their calling and not be tossed to and fro as, as a spiritual uh, child. Um, uh, so he, in, in, these, in these verses preceding the passage we're looking at, Paul is telling these, these believers that they have the responsibility to use their God-given gift um, that will equip them and enable them to best serve God. Uh, and so that's, that's just a little introduction to where we start off in verse 11. So verses 7 through 10, Paul has, has told these, these uh, Ephesian believers and these believers in these churches or these other uh, churches around Ephesus that, that God has given them each individual gifts He's, that, that he uh, desires and inspects them to use. Um, uh, and it's their responsibility to use these gifts. But then in verse 11, he says, and he himself, in other words, God, uh, gave some to be apostles or Christ. In other words, because in, in the preceding verses, uh, it talks about how Christ uh, came from heaven, came down to earth, um, and uh, ascended back up into heaven after, after paying the price for our sins. So that's the authority that Christ has uh, to give these gifts to us. And we won't uh, get in deep there right now. But So we open up from verse 11, it said, and he himself... Gave So this is Christ's gift to the church. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. All right, so there's uh, four groups of people here. Um, the, or, or, um, the, the apostles and prophets. Um, so the first two are uh, groups of people that, were, that, that, that Christ gave to the church or that, that used to be the... the foundation builders of the early church. In other words, when before the completed canon of the New Testament, before the, the, before the church had the, the New Testament, God gave uh, apostles and prophets to help build that foundation. Um, earlier in Ephesians, uh, in chapter 2, it says, the members of the household of God were built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Um, and in, um, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, he outlined three basic responsibilities of uh, these apostles uh, to lay the foundation of the church, which we saw in, in Ephesians 2, uh, also to receive and declare the revelation of God's word, uh, and finally to give confirmation of that word through signs and wonders and miracles. All right, so at the end of the completion of the New Testament, um, the office of apostles and prophets ceased. We don't believe that there's apostles now or prophets now. Um, but they were the, the group of uh, gifted men that God used to establish the foundation of the church, uh, to 
um, establish the church. And so that's when Paul says here, verse 11, he gave some to be apostles and prophets. Those are um, the group of, that, of, of men that God used to, to establish the church. Then it goes on to say, in, in some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. All right, so two more groups of, uh, two more groups of people, the evangelists, and what um, uh, a lot of people uh, group together, the pastors, uh, the pastor uh, dash teacher, the pastor teacher. So evangelists um, are, are one of the roles that were, are, again, a foundational ministry of, of, a, of a church, uh, of, a, of a plan of a church, uh, and are part of God's plan today for present-day equipping of believers for gospel growth. Um, so in other words, we, we see this first two group of people, the apostles and prophets, and almost like a passing of the torch. They laid the foundation, now it's time for the um, evangelists and pastors, teachers to carry on this torch of, um, of being, equipping the body of Christ to be able to walk worthy of their calling, to be spiritual, spiritually moored to uh, the doctrine of the, of the scripture. Um, so one way of describing evangelists as being missionaries who pioneer outreach, uh, perhaps in areas where the faith has not yet been proclaimed. Um, so uh, scriptural um, examples of this would be men like Philip, who ministered in, um, we, we've, uh, in Samaria and Caesarea, and we studied about him um, back in earlier in Acts. Um, and then also Epaphras, uh, a man who started a, um, the church in Colossae, um, and um, Paul, there's no direct connection to to, uh, to Epaphras' initial ministry that we see to Paul. But when Paul is, is a, as a prisoner, he, he travels to Paul in, uh, to get help with some of the issues that his church was facing. So Epaphras would be another man uh, like, that, that we described here as an evangelist, someone who took the gospel to an area, pioneered faith to an area that didn't have the gospel before. Um, Paul, in, in exhorting Timothy, uh, exhorted him to do the work of an evangelist. Uh, and so while, while Timothy, when Paul writes this to Timothy, he is a pastor of, of Ephesus, um, but he was saying, your responsibilities go beyond um, just uh, teaching and preaching, but you are also to do the work of an evangelist. Uh, so the responsibilities of us as pastors are not just to teach and preach the word, but also to uh, spread, the, spread their faith through, through people around us. Uh, the final group here that, that is mentioned here in verse 11 is the, the pa- and some pastors and teachers. Um, the last group mentioned here by Paul uh, here um, has the meaning of shepherd um, in most other areas of scripture that, that this word is used. Uh, in fact, all other areas it's used as a shepherd. Um, and it describes the role of a pastor or, or this spiritual leader as one who protects, nurtures, and leads. So again, you, if you picture a shepherd and what a, a shepherd does with sheep, protecting, leading, nurturing, feeding, um, that's that, that, that metaphor, that, that picture of this helps us again understand the role of the spiritual leader of the church, the pastor-teacher. Um, one, one person uh, wrote that, said this on it, the focus of this term is on the leader's attitude. To be qualified as a pastor, a man must have a shepherd's caring heart. So again, this is, uh, when Paul is using this word here, he's talking about a, 
a man that God has a, uh, equipped and given for the church for the care and nurture of the church uh, to help the, the, the members of the church grow and be unified and to be able to, they themselves, carry on that work of ministry. Um, the, again, like I said before, that the word pastor, teacher, um, is best understood as one office of leadership in the church. Um, Paul says to Timothy, he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So again, that, that it's a role that combines that preaching and teaching, uh, ad, admonishing God's word as well as uh, teaching, teaching as well. Um, so God's plan for the church, we see in verse, verse 11, uh, is the provision of gifts to individuals and to the church. Uh, in other words, the, the verses preceding here is we see that God gives each individual gifts that are meant to help uh, in service and unity in the church. Um, but God has also gifted the church with the, the leadership, the pastor, um, to, to help uh, lead and equip his members. Um, God, uh, again, as we see in the preceding verse, verses, has the, Christ has the authority to do this because of his work on the cross, his victory over death, his triumphant return to heaven. All right, and so that was that are the people that are mentioned here. We see the believers, and then we see in here in the middle section here the pastors, teachers, evangelists, um, and then the very end we go back to focusing on on the believers and what and how they are equipped. Um, so, um, so that was God's people. The second point we're going to look at is God's plan. God's plan. So, verse twelve says, "For the equipping of the saints, for the work." Of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, so the word equipping uh, can uh, or often um, refers to things that are restored. We see this in Galatians. Paul talks to the, the Galatians um, in, in chapter 6, verse 1. Um, you which are spiritual, um, you have the responsibility to restore somebody who is struggling spiritually. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as mending a net. Or, or, or as a surgeon would fix a broken bone. So restoring to usefulness. Um, uh, re- restoration, in my mind, pops up uh, fixing things. I don't know, some of you might enjoy restoring things to usefulness, fixing items around the house, or maybe you've uh, refinished or re- uh, taken an old piece of furniture, a, maybe an antique furniture or something that's been passed down to the family, and you've restored it or put, taken off the old coat of stain of arms and redid that so it looks nice or repaired it in a way that it's useful again. Um, so it's kind of the picture here that Paul is using here. Um, uh, oftentimes Paul uses the, the, the words that's talking about being made complete uh, of, as far as being equipped so that they're uh, ready for the work of ministry, the edifying the body of Christ. Um, Paul, uses, Paul uses this when he says to the Corinthians, Finally, brothers, rejoice Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Uh, so God use, or, or Paul uses this terminology to, to uh, as he addresses the, the churches, the very churches he writes to, ha- restore relationships, help other people who are struggling. And when... Uh, Pastors are equipping their people. They're equipping their people to do this work of ministry. It's not just the pastor's job, 
to solve everybody's problems. It's, it's the pastor's job to teach everybody so, so other people can be involved in restoring other people to usefulness so that we can, be, we can all be disciple makers. Um, and again, this is something that, that in the reference here is um, that Paul alludes to, that it's achievable here on earth. In other words, it's not making somebody perfect, but it's restoring them to usefulness. It's something that can happen. It's something that, that God expects us as believers to do to help one another walk worthy of our calling. To help us be restored to a place where maybe we've, we've been discouraged or, or chosen a path of sin for a time. And God can use each one of you to help someone else to get through that period of, of difficulty. Maybe it's just adversity, difficult, difficult times. Um, Colossians, Paul says, um, exhorts us that we teach every man with all wisdom that we may be present every man complete in Christ. Again, that, that, that reference of being, um, being mature, spiritually mature, uh, being restored. Um, uh, Paul, Paul writes to his fellow church planner that we mentioned earlier, Epaphras, uh, who is uh, laboring diligently in prayer that, that his flock would stand perfect and fully assured in all the word of God, all the will of God. So Paul is encouraging Epaphras, continue praying for your people that they will, that they will be able to stand mature, that they will grow spiritually, that they will walk with you and be able to walk in the will of God here. Um, so in, in this little section here, Paul is saying it is the duty, the responsibility of the evangelist and the, and the pastor teacher to equip believers for the purpose of serving and building up the Christ church. Uh, so gospel growth is a reality. In other words, discipleship and getting the gospel out and seeing people saved. It's a reality uh, when uh, church leaders teach God's, God's word and equip God's people to spread their faith uh, in their own walk of life, in their own, um, with their neighbors, with the people they work with, with the people they come in contact with. So in other words, the body of Christ is, is built up externally, but it's also built up internally as we encourage one another to be able to, uh, to, be able to share our faith with people around us. Uh, so in other words, a, a spiritually mature person is going to be able to help someone else be restored, going to be able to help somebody else uh, walk worthy. It's going to be able. To, it's going to be a person who's able to have the confidence to disciple somebody else. Um, so, uh, so, so, what is uh, when when Paul, when Paul says we need to walk worthy of this calling? We need to be equipped. What what is the means for doing this? What what does this mean for each of us? How does this happen? Or well, obviously we would say that these. Um, a spiritual decision comes about through spiritual means. In other words, it's not, we don't have righteousness on our own. Um, the flesh can't make someone, can't make, we can't make ourselves perfect, we can't make someone else perfect, but we can use um, the spiritual means that God has given us, in other words, God's word and, and prayer, uh, to help somebody else grow. So there's uh, several, several things we can look at here as far as how God equips us. He equips us with Scripture, um, Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God, it's profitable, and he says, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness. So um, one person has explained it this way, and it's not new with me, but he says, teaching, in other words, what's right, for reproof, what's wrong, for correction, how to make it right, and instruction in righteousness, how to keep it right. So God's word is profitable for all those different aspects. It tells us what's right. It tells us what's wrong. It tells us how we can make things right with God. It tells us how we can continue our walk with God, keep things right. And it goes on to say that, that verse goes on to say that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So again, we see this idea of being equipped or being mature, being made perfect, not in a, in a sense where we don't sin anymore, but being made uh, a complete, mature Christian who is able to lead others. So a pastor must be able to feed himself, feed his people, and lead his people to be able to feed themselves. So uh, one of the ways, the first way is scripture. The second way uh, we're equipped is with prayer. Um, And uh, as we study back in Acts chapter 6, what was the office that was established in the church? Or the, uh, the office of? Deacon, uh, it was established in Acts, Acts chapter 6, or, or men that served in, in a very similar way to our deacons do today. Um, and it says that the, um, these men, the apostles uh, gave themselves continually to teaching, and the word, to, to teaching the word and to prayer. All right, so a, a second thing that, that is vital in helping uh, another person be equipped uh, to be spiritually mature is prayer. And again, that's a a spiritual means of seeing change take place. It's not something that I can force on somebody. It's not something that a, a pastor can tell someone else, you need to change. I'm, but it's a, it's a spiritual means that God works in that person's heart. Again, I mentioned Epaphras earlier. Um, when, when Paul talks about it, he says that he labored diligently in prayer. And this, in this section here that they, the um, seeing here, it was really an admonition to me to, to, to be more diligent, to labor diligently in prayer for the flock. And, and Paul ends up by, by saying that Epaphras prayed diligently for the people in his church, his flock, that they would stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. So again, that idea of being equipped and mature comes out here. And these are spiritual means by prayer, with God's word, uh, final two things here are not something that, uh, that that we do as pastors, but it's what God uses in our life. Thankfully, we don't do it as pastors. It's God uses testing and suffering. I'm so glad that I don't have to administer that. I'm so glad that it is a perfect God who who gives us testing, who gifts us with times of suffering and adversity, so that we um, we grow spiritually. James tells us they consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. And he goes on to say, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So again, this idea of, of being equipped, this is, I mean, this is on God's side, the spiritual means that God uses to equip us to serve and to have unity and to walk worthy is difficulties testing that God brings in our life. And Paul and James tells us we need to consider it joy because we know who, who it comes from. We know it's a good God that gives us these, these, these time periods, these, these seasons of testing that, that must result in a response of joy and trust and obedience. Um, 
perhaps in a uh, more personal uh, note or a more uh, specific um, aspect, suffering happens sometimes. God allows suffering to happen. Um, Peter tells us, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, and there's that word again, uh, being made whole or complete, uh, confirm, strengthen, establish you. In other words, that you're, you become perfect or mature, that you, become, that you grow in God's grace, that you walk worthy. And if we think back through times in our life where God has allowed suffering, adversity, or testing to, to, to happen, we can see that those were times where we grew spiritually or that we um, should have grown spiritually or that maybe it took a little bit longer than it should have, but we eventually saw this is God working in our life to change us. Um, this is God who um, not only gives us these afflictions, but also gives us comfort so that we can comfort those with that same comfort that we were comforted with. Um, so these, this passage talked about it being equipping, and that's a, a major um, uh, emphasis here of what, um, what the, the purpose of the uh, spiritual leadership in the church is, to be equipped. So I think of, of being equipped in, just in, in, a, in a physical sense, just in a very practical sense, I... I Picture having the right tools. Um, I've seen uh, Ryan carry out a, open up a little pouch. I went, do you carry that with you all the time, a little computer repair kit? Um, and it has all, the, I don't know all the tools, but it has most of the tools necessary to repair a computer, maybe change out a hard drive or get to the inner workings of a computer. He's equipped to be able to work on computers in that way. If you've ever taken a, a peek inside Pastor V's trailer, and seeing all the, the wood and the water and the tools in there, you know he's equipped to help uh, a, a family who has just gone through a fire. Um, I mean, I look at some of the sizes of the purses in here today, and maybe you all look like you're pretty well equipped for, for, for whatever would come today. I'm, I'm equipped when I have my, my little Leatherman with me um, and my phone, perhaps. Um, but we, so there's, there's things that we, that when we carry out tasks, we, we desire to have with us. Uh, when I go out painting, I have several um, uh, tubs of, of all my painting tools and a, a, a toolbox of the tools I, I usually use or could might, might use. We're equipped. So and in this passage here, in a, in a very practical sense, we come here to church to be equipped to be able to better withstand the wiles of the devil, uh, as Paul tells us later on in Ephesians, um, to be able to um, be mature and be able to withstand the, the, the waves of life, the difficulties that, and the adversities that we are put through. And when we grow spiritually, when we allow ourselves to be confronted with God's word by our, our spiritual leaders, and we, when we um, are, um, are given principles that we can, can live by, when we are told to be imitators of Christ and of our spiritual leaders, we become better equipped to live life uh, in dependence on God and in a way that we can uh, help other people. So we're equipped, the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, you know, the service, um, the uh, opportunities that we have to, uh, to serve each other, to carry on the work of the ministry. And obviously, um, pastors cannot accomplish all the work that a church has to do. And not just the physical 
repairing or, or putting things up, but it's also the, the meeting of each other's spiritual needs. And the body of Christ is designed to be able to do that when properly equipped. Each one of you, and, this is, and you see this happening in our discipleship hour, we're, you are, have the possibility, you have the responsibility to learn to be disciple makers and to be able to, to lead someone in a Bible study and to help other people through times of difficulty or to encourage other people or to restore somebody else. Um, and, by, and when evangelists and pastors and teachers equip their people, their flock, their church, um, the, the church as a whole is, is unified and able to encourage and restore each other. And the very last phrase here says, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building up of the body of Christ. Um, the word edifying there is literally any type of construction or, or building. Um, so when you think of building the body of Christ, we, we, um, uh, we, we, can, we can picture um, encouraging one another, and so each person is able to better to carry on ministry, to be able to teach other people. And that's really our uh, goal is to see one another have the spiritual maturity to help somebody else, to be able to disciple somebody else. So we've seen the people that, that Paul has mentioned here. We've seen the plan. Finally, let's look at the purpose God has uh, in the last part of this passage. Verse 13, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So again, maybe you maybe have pictures a, um, a, a boat that's in, maybe you've been in a boat that's been tossed around a bit. Maybe you've been on, uh, in some... Uh, body and maybe some of you have been in um, Florida. You've been on some of the open wa- open waters in the Gulf, and maybe storms that come up. Or you can see what waves can do and what can be tossed about. Paul is telling these believers here: we don't want you to be tossed about. We don't want you to be children who go from one thing to the other and are, and are deceived by people who are trying to um, uh, lead you astray. Uh, God desires maturity, stability. Um, until we all come to be like his son, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. Um, the, the measure of the full-grown, perfect, mature man. Um, so, so Paul brings up the, the aspect here uh, that there are, are people that are, are trying to deceive you, trying to, to lead you away into uh, false doctrine. And he says here, uh, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Uh, and so a, a mature Christian will have the spiritual stability to avoid that. A mature, um, a spiritual adult will be able to be spiritually moored so that they are not uh, taken away by other uh, beliefs or belief systems or by the philosophy of our world. And we all, uh, as parents, we one of the things you always teach your children is to never, never talk to strangers or never go with a stranger. Um, and actually, one of our, one of our, um, well, we never saw this happen. We were at a, a large park in South Carolina, and apparently, um, one of uh, one of our kids was approached by a, a man who said, 
and told him to come with him to see his motorcycle. Uh, and so this is one of the situations you've talked to your kids about. Um, and fortunately, um, our, this one child did not go with him and ran to us immediately, ran away from him. Uh, but it's one of those situations you, that you always talk about with your children you don't ever expect to happen or you hope it doesn't happen. Uh, but you teach your children to not be led away by strangers. And here Paul is telling us here is that we should not be led away by, the, by people who are trying to deceive you uh, with other, with other uh, teachings that are contrary to the Scripture or which is other worldly philosophy. Uh, be moored to the Bible, moored to the Scripture. Um, so Paul is, is exhorting us to have stability. He's also exhorting us to have unity. And as we wrap up here in the last several verses here, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So this chapter starts out talking about walking worthy and having unity with one another, and it ends with that. Um, the section we, we're, we're reading here this morning, uh, that we are working together as a whole body, as, as, a, as a literal body would, each part working together uh, that causes the body, uh, that causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Uh, so the, the goal of becoming a mature Christ-like believer who is an example for others to follow. Um, it's, it, it may feel like a daunting task to say, this is what walk worthy means. I need, it means I need to be able to lead other people. But thankfully, we have, we have the, the, the church here that God has gifted with spiritual leaders to help be equipped by that. And God, we have the power of God's word and the power of God to change us, to make us, to mature us, to be more like him. Um, And so again here, this is taking, this is, the believers that are being exhorted here are said to go from children who have perhaps the childish desires or the, the immaturity of a child or the, the, the lack of wisdom of foresight the child would have, uh, as, and specifically a spiritual child, to becoming a mature adult. Um, when, when I was a child, um, I don't remember how old I was, I was um, but I was pretty young, and I remember one time, um, like my dad was at work, but there, a big storm came through, uh, and the skies got really black. And in fact, I, I don't remember this, but my my, parent, my mom said it, the skies turned that greenish color, like before a tornado would come. Uh, and so uh, my mom had us all run to the basement. Um, but on my way to the basement, I ran back to my room and grabbed what I thought were my um, treasured possessions, my box of uh, comic books. And I thought, this is what I need <laughs> to survive. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't remember if my mom grabbed anything. It was, certainly was not comic books. But in my mind, that was what I thought I needed. I was a child. I, that was my sum total of what I thought was, uh, was um, desirable to save. But, but looking back on that, obviously I see that that would do, do me no good if we had lost the rest of the house. It would just be a box of comic books. It would not have helped me in my life. Uh-huh. And, and that's the perspective of, of a difference between a child and an adult. And Paul here is saying here, we need to go from being spiritual children to be, to be spiritual adults who aren't led around, who don't carry around their, their box of things that we think are precious, but, that we, but by looking to God's word and saying, this is what is precious in my life, 
God wants me to walk worthy, and this can change my life. And by becoming people who are immersed in the Word, are immersed in prayer, and able to help other people, to restore other people. And so as we close this, um, this sermon this, this morning, this passage this morning, the exhortation is for all of us, is to be imitators of our spiritual leaders, to be, to be imitators of Christ, so that we can um, lead somebody else, so that we can disciple someone else, so that we can be a part of the restoration process in another person's life. And Paul says, that is walking worthy of the calling. That is having unity and love, and that is being able to uh, speak the truth in love and help other people grow to be mature. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage, for the encouragement we find here, and I thank you that we have um, the church and the, the opportunity to find encouragement from one another, to be exhorted from your word. I pray that we would hold your word precious to us. I pray that you would help us to have the desire to, um, to be equipped, uh, to, to be spiritually mature so that we're not like children who are tossed to and but they are moored uh, in, the, in your word and able to restore one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.